Hello there and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. I know you're going to enjoy this extract from one of our all-time classic episodes with Chris O'Dowd to hear the full hilarious conversation and more deep dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish people ever to have left the shores. Along with our other series, go to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and sign up for premium Irishman Abroad. It only takes a minute and for less than a fiver, you'll gain access to everything. And you can walk around knowing that you helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. Our chosen charity partner, as always, is Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that do tremendous work back in Ireland to equip young people with the mental health skills they will need to survive this life. Obviously, through the pandemic, they've seen a 400% jump in demand for their one-to-one and group services. With their phone line, their webinars and their new website, Jigsaw are making a massive, massive difference back home to young people across all communities. Why not take a minute to visit the site, see if they can help you or someone in your life, or maybe through a donation, you can help them. That's jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme, what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Regal! You grew up in Boyle and Roscommon. I did. In the 80s. I've been trying to hide it, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) And an unusually tall boy... Yes. ...who wound up playing under-16 and minor football for Roscommon. Now a lot of people know that. Sure. In the position of goalkeeper. Well, I mean, the truth is I started off in midfield. I think I played a year of minor in midfield. And the fact that the next year I I went into goals is a real indication of... When my drinking really kicked in. <laughs> is that true? Or yeah, is? but that's it. I think I remember I started, uh, like, I love football, but I think around that age I started seeing other things and doing other things. Right. And um, my attention was divided too much the for the manager's liking. Well, the goalkeeper is a unique uh, position, and I thought it wasn't, uh, it wasn't surprising that you were a goalkeeper, in that it's a pretty unique role a lonely enough existence sure in the, and that a lot of goalkeepers are a little bit crazy yeah don't forget lazy I mean that's a real <laughs> <laughs> I think it wouldn't be fair for me not to include lazy in that list but you're right it's a very in a weird kind of a way it's a showy position because yeah. you um, you are mostly available for the big moments sure and that's, I, I think that is probably indicative of, of my life. Yeah, and if you save, if you make some saves, great. If yes. you don't, well, 
It's a very difficult job you've got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's true. I think it's um, it's one of those, you're forgiven very quickly. And you, you wanted to be the centre of attention. Was that a thing at, at that age? Yeah. I was very, um, particularly around then, and, and for another three or four years afterwards, I was very loud and very... And I think mostly based on insecurity. And I, it was one of those kind of, I'm the youngest of five kind of things where I was still shouting for cream. And I drank a lot of cream. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was, um, I, was, yeah, I was a real showy pain in the arse. I've heard you talk about growing up two doors down from where Maureen O'Sullivan yeah. was raised. And her getting a parade back through Boyle. Yeah. And you standing at the side of the road thinking, I wouldn't mind that kind of a reception Why I eventually re- return to this town. Yeah. Did you always see yourself leaving the town? Wow, that's a good question. I suppose in a way I did. Yeah, I think I did. And <coughs> as much as Maureen O'Sullivan and everyone influences, I think uh, my siblings have been leaving. So like I had a sister at that age... Um, I had a sister living in New York and, and my brother was kind of travelling around Europe for years and um, yeah it seemed like the natural progression and your parents didn't seem like people who would hold you back in, in that sense your father was a graphic designer your mother's uh, counsellor is that correct? yeah so they were kind of liberal thinkers in, in that sense no for sure and they were um, and I, I, I always think what's really important important about it as much as the kind of the fact that they were they were kind of arty and very supportive but this was the fact that they were self-employed and so that was never a scary proposition you know I remember like it was scary and I knew it was really hard to be self-employed because dad worked just all of the time like he was a, a sign writer really back then and so we would spend a lot of time putting signs up on pubs and on vans and all that kind of stuff but he would work you know from seven to eight you know every day and uh, yeah, and Mam then started doing counselling when I was ten or eleven or twelve. She went kind of she went back to college and did it. And yeah, so I think that the 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 self employed thing was was important. And yet you went to UCD to study politics and sociology, which wouldn't be the direct route to self employment. Well, I didn't get in anywhere else. Right. I think <laughs> UCD Arts. It was UCD Arts, which I only got into because the points had dropped for it that year. Okay. I think I wanted, I'm not sure, I think I wanted to be a journalist maybe. But also, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I think I had lo- applied for loads of stuff. And I, I think it was really n- like number 10 on my list okay. the, on the CAO or whatever. And I was fucking delighted. Because I needed to to get out. Like I think at that time I um, I was ready to go, and I was so disappointed with my results. Um, you felt you deserved better. I don't think I deserved better, but I thought I would get better. Right. <laughs> and um, when that turned out to not be the case, I was. I remember that being so disappointed. And I, and I had kind of got into my head that okay, well I have to repeat now. I I just hated the idea of it. So when I kind of snuck in. Um, I was gone. Right. I was never a big studier myself. I was always a guy who was like, well, these are the subjects. How little, what's the least amount I can do? <laughs> yeah. What gambles can I take? Yeah. I read the past papers like a form book. Sure. As to what's come up in previous years. This is due. 
Were you the same kind <laughs> oh, of way? Yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten about that whole stuff. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to take a risk on this coming up and just not go into that whole area. Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot that's exactly what would happen. And punch in the air or dropping <laughs> your head as you're in the exam. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and like spending so much... I remember spending just so much time doing timetables of studying. <laughs> like hours and hours. Sorted, yeah. It really got in the way of me studying. I must have done a hundred hours of timetables. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was kind of arty as a kid. And so the timetables were fairly, um, like very well illustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Different pictures. Um, and when you, get, when you get out, surely you think then, right, now I'm going to knuckle down when I get to UCD. Absolutely. That's all yeah. in your head. Yeah, because I've learned from the experience. Yeah. And going forward, it will never be the same again. I mean, given this shot. Yeah, and then I just stopped going to lectures. Really? Like, almost immediately. And um, <laughs> and What did you do instead? I went to drama sock. Right. That wasn't something you were into beforehand? No. And it wasn't something I had, even when I got there, I thought I would do it. I met up with a friend, and he was going down to audition for something. And uh, and I remember ridiculing him for it, like thinking that is ridiculous. And he said, "Come on, come down and support me." And I said, "No, I want, I just want you to fail all on your own." And he said, "Come on." I said, "All right." And he needed a bit of Dutch courage to go down there. He was auditioning for some like freshers' play or something. And I went down with him. And while they were doing these auditions, they were doing like theater games and all that kind of weird stuff that they do in theatres <laughs> and, uh, and there were one short and uh, so I joined in for for a minute thinking you know that would be fun and I just loved it I kind of I don't know what I was expecting from it I thought it would be too earnest for me to enjoy but I actually loved it and then I ended up auditioning for that play and got into it and, and that was it and then I kind of lived there for three years down in that little basement in UCD which is a common enough thing like yeah. there are guys that just never leave that basement and play pool in the trap there are and people that I were some of my best friends down there that I never saw in the light <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding I mean there was people down there what I loved about it as well it was um, they were really the um, the outliers of society down there and like loads of nerds and geeks and people really, mostly like 30% of people down there hadn't decided what their sexuality was. And, and a lot of people down there, none of us knew what sex they were. And <laughs> <laughs> um, between that, I mean, it, it did feel like the, you know, it felt like a morbid bunch almost, like down in this little basement. And a lot of, and it was a lot of people going through like goth phases. And, but I kind of loved it. Was <laughs> because. There- I don't know why, but I, I kind of felt, um, I don't know, I, I felt very at home down there immediately. Did you tell yourself that you were going to become a speechwriter when people would ask you that question at Christmas parties? Well, I spend a lot of time in Dramsock, I'm studying politics. Yeah. This is the answer. Or was that a genuine thought? I'm going to parlay this into a career in politics. I can't really remember, but I think I definitely... It wasn't... No, it wasn't something that I would just tell people for fun. It was definitely something I thought... Because also, being down there, I didn't think this is a career choice. And I wasn't stupid enough to think... Well, what To not think what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And um, so I think that that must have been what I, what I figured. Speech writing, which I still do admire so hugely. Um, yeah, I thought maybe that was going to be the path. 
So uh, where does it arrive at a point where I've heard you describe going to final year exams and not knowing what the exams were about? Yeah, just not a clue. By then, I think, I kind of just, I got through, actually. I never, I just about got through. Never good results or whatever. Got to the final year. And then I decided in my final year I was going to run the National Student Drama Festival. And, uh, and that meant that like, I, was, I was just never there. I was just, I was never part of the, <laughs> the, um, the learning facility. And, uh, <laughs> but I and, know and it seems weird because I think, I think generally when that happens, it means that you're, you're in the pub all day or you're, you know, getting high in the digs or whatever. And that wasn't my really, I was working all the time. I felt like I didn't have a minute to spare, yeah. but I didn't have a minute to spare to go to lectures. Yeah. I was kind of meeting with sponsors and sure. all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was just so many logistics. And then I was probably directed two or three plays a month. <laughs> and uh, doing just all that. So it isn't like when you t- describe about being in the drama society and being down there as these outliers, there's still a part of you that's clearly very adept at organising and orchestrating things and people. Yeah. And motivating people to do your will. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, our will, for sure. I mean, and it was... And I think that that's true. It was, it was a ragtag army, and uh, and I was like a drunk corporal. But I was I was definitely very driven even then. I think because you still know what shit. I think even when you were um, that age, and uh, I was young as well. Even for I think I started college at seventeen. You still know what what's not worth doing and. So, yeah, so when we spend our time, so much time put into it, you wanted to make sure that you were creating something watchable. And these uh, final exams don't go as well as expected. <laughs> no. Although, I have to say, at that point, it just didn't matter. Right. Because I'd been accepted into Lambda Okay, before. so that had happened prior to sitting there. Yeah. I think that I got in around in a, maybe in April or something like that. And then the exams were in May, June kind of time. So it was very hard to motivate myself to go to exams. I'm sure I'm sure I missed some as well. Like, Are those auditions in Dublin or in London? They were in London. And was that your first trip abroad? No, 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 it wasn't, no. Because I, I had, um, well, by that stage, I I run a bar in Paris for a bit. Uh, actually, God, I totally forgotten about this. This is, this is a mad story. In UCD, like UCD so close to RTE, that every Friday night, somebody from the Late Late Show would come to the UCD bar and offer students tickets to sit in the audience of the Late Late Show because they wanted people at home, like the kids who were watching it with their parents, to think that it was cool. And I was seeing some girl, and uh, it was her birthday. So we'd been drinking all day. And, uh, and they offered us tickets to the Late Late Show so we, we we had kind of run out of money and they were like there's a drink reception beforehand so we headed down and uh, we sat in the audience and there was all these things on like I think it, was around, it must have been around Easter time I remember getting Easter eggs and t-shirts that, one of those kind of there's one for everybody in the audience then and then Gable said um, so this is, they started talking about uh, a new Irish ferries boat going from from Wexford to Cherbourg and uh he said, we've got four tickets for everybody in the audience. So there was four of us. So we had 16 tickets. So 
in a couple of weeks' time, 16 of us headed off on this boat to Sherbrooke. <laughs> and the plan was that we would, um, we would like, spend the night there and then just get the ferry back. <laughs> and, uh, Make use of the tickets. You <laughs> couldn't let them go to waste. <laughs> and, uh, this, is, this, must, this was 98. And um, so we went down. And that was my first time I'd been in France. Maybe I'd been to like Blackpool as a kid or something. But that was my first time I'd been anywhere proper on my own. Mm. And I got there and I was so excited. And we went to some place and had some bread and cheese. And I'm like, oh my God, bread and cheese is great. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, Brennan's and cheddar isn't the same. And when we got, so I was like, you know what, this is, we should stay for a bit. Like, why don't we go to Paris? Um, and everybody, like, I, I, I felt like it was one of those, like, Braveheart speeches where I was like, "Listen, everybody, let's do this," and we're, we're you know, we're in the, we're in the autumn of our youths. Let's. And everybody said, "No, actually, we need to head back." So I went to Paris on my own, thinking that I'd just go there, have a little look around the sites, and uh, and head back. So I got this train to Paris, and I, uh, I went to like. Eiffel Tower and I was walking around underneath the Eiffel Tower and I was about to head back on the train to go back to the ferry and uh, I heard somebody go Chris <laughs> and it was a girl that I knew from Carrigan Shannon in Leitrim and uh, she was there like a she was a foreign exchange student and she said I, I, I told her what had gone on she said oh well come on we should, I, it's actually one of my last nights here I'll bring you out for a couple of drinks and <coughs> This is a very long winded story. I'm sorry, <laughs> but we ended up we ended up going to this. Uh, she said uh, uh, we'll go to this cocktail bar. We went to this cocktail bar in the Champs Elysees, um, and the World Cup was just starting uh, in '98. So the, and it was there, obviously, and it was in, in it was in it was in France. So the streets were just full of like Brazilians and Scots and whatever. So it was really alive, and we went to this cocktail bar called Chesterfields. And it was the best place I'd ever been. <laughs> it was like, looking back, it was like a tacky American cocktail bar. But it was so alive. Um, I loved the buzz in there. And I said, I want to work here. And so I asked, <laughs> I asked the guy, they were jammed. And it was really busy and they looked overrun. And I said to the guy behind the bar, a guy called Marco, I think, and uh, could I get a job? And he said, no, no, we don't, we don't need anybody. And uh, I said, come on, I'm really good, is the thing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know what, fine. And I kept pestering him. He said, you know, come in for an interview tomorrow. And I said, okay. And we ended up drinking for the night. And then I stayed with her. And then the next morning, I went in uh, for an interview with him. And he just didn't turn up. And I thought, what a fucking prick. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was a really big bar. And there was he was one of the managers, but there was four managers. Like, the managers in different places. And so I went up to this woman, and I could. There was. I remember there being like somebody had just dropped like a tray of drinks in the background just as I walked up to this woman, and it had that kind of chaotic feel where every the, the whole place looked overrun, and they weren't ready for all these football people. And I went up to this woman, and she said, "What can I do for you?" And I said, and I looked around, and I realized, oh, you know what? There's, there's definitely like issues here. So maybe I can chance my arm. So I said. Uh, I'm supposed to start work today. And uh, <laughs> she said, really? And I said, yeah, I, uh, I did an interview with Marco last night. 
And she said, all right, okay, just get a T-shirt over there. And uh, so I put on a T-shirt for this place, and I got in behind the bar, and there must have been like eight barmen, but one of them was from Dublin. They were from all around the world. And it was a real proper cocktail place, like loads of throwing of shit around everywhere. And I said to the guy, listen, I have no idea what I'm doing. To this guy from Dublin, he says, don't worry, you'll be fine. Just pull, can you pull pints? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I'd worked in bars before. And uh, he said, uh, just give me your cocktail um, orders when they come in. And uh, he trained me as time went on. Right? And then, then Marco came in that night. And, uh, and he looked at me behind the bar. He said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I did the interview with the lease. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I ended up working there. And, and that was fun. <laughs> and that was, that was so fun, that period, during the World Cup and whatever. And then I was, as the World Cup was ending, they were getting rid of loads of staff. that They just got there. So I ended up, uh, I'd been drinking in this Irish bar. Well, while they were still letting staff off there, I asked if I could get a job there. And, and he gave me a job. So I ended up working in that bar for another, I, I spent like an extra month or so after the holidays. I mean, maybe another three or four months. And uh, yeah, that was, that was really fun. What it tells us, like just listening to it from an outsider, is that like you're not a chancer but you're willing to chance your arm. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So when auditions and things come around, such as the one for your university in London, you don't strike me as somebody, given what we've just heard, who would act like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to get this, which is a, a uniquely Irish thing is to go, oh, well, sure, we'll see how this goes. You have an ability to walk into a room cocksure that this is normal and that I will get this and that this is this is for me. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. I think that um, you know, I've had uh, plenty of setbacks and stuff over the years, but more often than not things have just been working out okay. So, I've got no reason for major self-doubt. Like, I've got self-doubt in, you know, my abilities to do something very well, but I always feel like... Uh, I can make things happen if I really put my mind to it. And uh, and until things really fall apart, which of course they will, um, I'm just going to go with that. And was that experience in studying in London, was that a case of uh, trying not to let this thing crumble to pieces? Uh, or was it as, you know, people listening to this would think that the Chris O'Dowd story is this uh, rocket to the sun they don't really know that there's the study in London first of all that'll be a surprise to a lot of people yeah uh, and then a long long period where from looking at your IMDB and looking at what you've done you didn't appear to stop working at all no I was always working doing some I did that almost um, old school thing when I came over I um, I played ga here like when I came over and was doing the drama school thing, and I was playing Ga for a club called Gary Owen, who were very good to me. Like they're they're they take care of you. Like they'll. Um, was that because you were uniquely drawn to the Irish culture, or that you loved Ga, or was it a networking system to get ahead and maybe get a job? Oh uh, no, I think it was more. It was more the former. It was more when I got to London first. I, like I really hated it, and I found it. 
like an alien landscape and all of the kind of exciting things that have been in my head about arriving here just weren't the case. I felt like I was living out in Tooting Broadway and uh, I didn't feel like I was part of London. I felt like I, it was one of those places that everybody lives and I'm, I'm sure there's a few of them where you you have to get a bus to the tube and then get a bus and then you're in town. <laughs> yeah. And um I mean Graham talked about that in his interview. Oh, really? The idea that London doesn't care about you. Yeah. And yeah. it can be really intimidating come from somewhere like Ireland where it does seem like, well, I'll know more or less one person wherever I go than yeah. about. No, I think that's true. So and also I was hating drama school. You didn't enjoy it? And no. I like there was parts of it I enjoyed, but it was it was so pretentious that I found it difficult to Describe how pretentious that is. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was, like Captain Parkinson was in my class, who's in the IT crowd with me. We felt very similar about it. Like we f- felt. <laughs> I love acting. I do, but like I hate lovies, and and I, I don't particularly like thespians and all of that stuff. I just find we had to pretend to be babies. Like I remember a day. <laughs> day where our exercise was that we had to pretend to be babies <laughs> and for a prolonged period of time like three hours <laughs> <laughs> I remember crawling I remember crawling around on the ground this play that everybody taking it so seriously that was the thing everybody taking it so seriously like who can be the best fucking baby and, <laughs> and they tried to impress whatever idiotic teacher told us to do this and we're, <laughs> it was quite early on, and I remember Catherine, who I kind of already liked at this day, I remember us crawling past each other, and everybody taking it so serious. And Catherine was just whispering to herself, I'm a fucking baby, I'm a fucking baby. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, stuff like that, and I remember pretending to be toothpaste. Um, <laughs> ah, dude, and uh, and and also they really tried to knock the corners off you. Like they wanted to, I'm probably overstating it, but they wanted to create this army of actors, like very faceless, um, like perfect pieces, p- perfect pieces of clay that directors at the national could mould. Right, and I had no interest in that. So what were you interested in? Why were you there? I was there to express myself, and it felt like it was the worst place in the world to express yourself. Because <laughs> whatever you did, I just got in shit, and I got in shit all the time. Like in, tr- in trouble with yeah. the authorities. Yeah, I would stop going to some classes because I thought they were stupid, and you're just not allowed to do that. And, and also, I was working. Like I was working in a building site from six till nine, and then I would have to go to drama school and come back, and then go to the bar. And it was like. This is this isn't right. And go training for the very own <laughs> yeah, which is how I got the the, the building side. I did that thing where I was so old school. I was playing GA, and like all the players were either. I guess this is the difference between guys who came over in the sixties and seventies. By the time I got here, all of the players owned bars or were contractors. Right. And um, and yeah, and one of them gave me a job, and so I was a hog carrier for a while. And I was, I was really one of the world's worst hog characters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it was good, and I did it for a good while. And How many years were you studying there? I, I did two years, I think. Two years? Yeah. And directly Didn't after finish that, it. 
Like, you didn't finish it, mm-hmm. really. That's another thing not a lot of people I haven't finished know. anything, yeah. No. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, got, I ran out of money, I think. But also, I got a job. So I kept kind of, I, had, I went to leave. This, actually, this is one of the things where I, um, I think I was going to get expelled. I got called up because I'd stopped going to some class. And I went to, and I was called up to the principal's office. And I was sitting there. And, um, God, I forgot about this. And uh, I was waiting there. And he was late. Like, it was so late. Like, I was waiting there for 20 minutes. And while I was waiting, a fax came through. And it was like, fax the shame. And I didn't pay any attention to it. But then it was another 10 minutes. And then I was so bored. So I went over and I looked at the fax. And it was a casting call for Irish actors who had just graduated. Because you weren't allowed to work when you were there. To do this movie about priests. And so I nicked it. And I just left. <laughs> and I called the cast. The casting call. There it is. That's just the beginning. To hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irish Man Abroad episodes and shows, join us on patreon.com forward slash Abroad. Help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events, and for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicar Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees. Over at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer, as always, Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible, and finally, to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now, more than ever, they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life, or maybe, through a donation, you can help them.